You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Well, good morning, church. This morning, we are in Daniel chapter 3, so go ahead and grab your Bible and open up to Daniel chapter 3. We're looking at one of the most well-known narratives in all of Scripture, one of the best stories, maybe one you've heard since you were a kid. It's definitely one of the greatest examples of faith in the entirety of Scripture. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego choose the fiery furnace instead of worshiping a false god. These three young men who lived with a dangerous faith that got them into a whole lot of trouble, but they would never compromise the truth of their God. I'm going to read the first seven verses of the chapter to get us started and set the context of what's going on here, and then I'll pray, and then we'll get started, all right? So follow along with me in Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. It says this. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and the officials of the province gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before that image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Thank you that you are the same God that you were to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as you are to us today. Thank you, Lord, that we can have this faith. Oh, God, I pray that we would learn from their example, from their testimony, Lord, and we would be spurred on to live a dangerous faith that would never succumb to the pressures of this world. But Lord, that we would stand for righteousness, that we would stand to worship our God and King. Oh Lord, help us. Teach us from your word now. Holy Spirit, help us, guide us, instruct us. We need you so much. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so far in the text, we haven't even been introduced to the main characters of the story, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... Look at the options before them, and we saw what the options are, right? Either you bow down to this giant golden tower-like structure, or you get thrown into a fiery furnace. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were young Jewish boys that were captured from Jerusalem when Nebuchadnezzar sacked the city in 586 BC, and he took them from there, and he brought them into Babylon, and he put them in his court. And them, along with about 70 others, 
were serving the king at his pleasure in all these different ways. And they were called upon and they were brought to the plains of Dura to bow down to this golden statue that he had set up. But these three young men, calmly, respectfully, and without compromising their faith, chose the fiery furnace instead. So here's our big question today. What will I do when the worst thing happens? What will I do? What will I do when the worst thing happens? Will I cave to external pressures or hold on to internal convictions? Will you have a dangerous faith that might get you in a whole lot of trouble with the people around you, but will be pleasing to your God? Will you hold on to these internal convictions regardless of external pressures? Being way more concerned about your worship and your integrity and your love for God than anything that could ever happen to your mortal body? Will you live with a dangerous faith that may cost you your life your livelihood, and everything else. Do you know what you will do when the worst thing happens? I think lots of us look at this story and we, maybe we knew it growing up or we've heard of it and we almost think of it in this cartoon way that we learned it when we were kids. I read the story to my kids and it's a, it's a little book and they love it. It's a little cartoon and it kind of shows them going into the fiery furnace and it's a, it's a good moral lesson and, and we try to teach our kids through this way but maybe still in our minds we look at this and we sort of compare it to the other things we learned as kids like Jack and the Beanstalk and, 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 and Cinderella and all these other Disney stories but the reality is, is that those are fake and this is real. This is history these are three real young men before a very powerful, real king in history. And they would not bow. They would not succumb to the external pressures. What would you do when the worst thing happens? I think we need to look at our life today to find out. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't become all of a sudden the superheroes of the faith on that day. Their faith was proven on that day, but every day before that, they faithfully served their God so that when the worst thing happened, they were ready. You see, heroes aren't made in the moment of crisis. Heroes are made every day before that moment comes as you live with dangerous faith for your God. An unprepared person rarely succeeds in catastrophe. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't instantly become bold they had a confidence and a courage in their God because they knew who he is. There was nothing that would change their worship. Nothing at all. So I ask again, I ask again, will you live with this dangerous faith that might cost you your life? Will you follow Jesus Christ? Because really that's the answer to all of this. Just to give you, I'll give away the answer, right? At the beginning of the sermon, that's okay. All of this makes sense when you know Jesus. It makes sense to choose the fiery furnace if you know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, none of this makes sense. It doesn't make sense to have yourself thrown into the furnace, but when you know Jesus, it is so worth it. It is so worth it. Apart from him, this is an impossible task, but there is good reason to die. There is good reason to give up everything if you know Jesus Christ.
We have five points today walking through this incredible story of these three young men who lived with dangerous faith. So let's see what happens when we do the same. Five results of living with dangerous faith. Here's number one. I will make enemies. I will make enemies if I choose to live with this dangerous faith. Let's look at the text, 8 through 12. In your Bibles, verse 8, it says this. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down in worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. When you stand up for God, when you will not cave to external pressures, let me guarantee you this, you will make enemies. Are you okay with that? People will hate you, just like they hated these three young men. People will hate you for what you believe. When you look into our culture and people at your work or people in your family or whoever says to you that you need to conform to the social norms that they're trying to put forward, and you say no, they will hate you. When they, you, when they say, you need to support abortion because it's women's rights, and you say, no, that's not true, that's not good, I can't support that, you will be hated. When they say, conform to our materialistic um, worldview, and you say, no, there is a God, you will be hated by your coworkers and your fellow students and your professors. You will be hated if you don't conform to the way that they want you to think. When you worship the true God, when you stand against the culture and say, no, I will not concede my internal convictions. Jesus says in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. As believers, as those who will live with this faith, this dangerous faith, can we, we can expect to be hated. We will be hated. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were these certain Jews who stuck out like sore thumbs. When everyone else went down to the floor to worship, they remained standing. When the bagpipes and all the other ungodly instruments started to play, sorry to all the Scottish people in the room, all right, but apparently bagpipes are for idol worship, okay? So... <laughs> We'll never have those on stage. I'm just kidding. But seriously, we won't have them on stage, I'm sure. Um, but when every, all the music started to play, they all hit the floor to bow down and worship, but these three did not. They didn't protest. They, they didn't cause a fuss. They, they didn't write a formal complaint to their employer. They didn't say, hey, I'm being treated unfairly. They just wouldn't bow down. They would not worship a false god. We think there was about 70 of these people, just like these three, coming from Jerusalem, and they were in the king's court, maybe around 70 of them, but only three, only three decided that they would rather momentarily burn in Nebuchadnezzar's furnace than eternally burn in hell. They stood when everyone else went 
down. It's easy for us to say, looking at this story, right? Of course I would do the same. I'm never going to bow down to anyone but God. Are you sure? Are you sure? I hope you are. But look at your life today. Look at your life today. Who are you today? Do you hate being hated? Are you okay with being hated by people around you, by your family, by your coworkers, by your boss, by society? Are you okay with that? When given the opportunity to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and preach the gospel, do you shy away from it with the fear of being hated? When the Holy Spirit is nudging you towards praying for someone, do you, do you resist the Holy Spirit so that you won't be seen as a, one of those crazy Jesus people? I've been there. I'm sure many of us have been. The Holy Spirit telling us, pray, pray for this person, offer to pray, speak the gospel into their life, and, and we don't, or we, we walk away from it, and then we just feel this regret. My uh, office used to be right on the corner of the building over at the side there. It wasn't a corner office. It's just where they stuck me. And um, it's right near the parking lot. And uh, this might be of no surprise to you, but there's lots of accidents on McCowan. Lots of people come out of that Tim Hortons parking lot and just sideswipe people for some reason. I don't get it. Anyway, so they uh, pull into our parking lot all the time, actually. And quite often, if you're here during the week, there's like a broken up car in our parking lot because people pull in here all the time. It's the, most, it's the nearest parking lot. If, if it wasn't a church building, you'd think it was a, like a dump lot sometimes. There's tow trucks in here constantly. And I remember one time I heard, and I'm like, oh, here we go again. And I came outside, and uh, of course, there's the two guys and a, and a woman, and they, they just kind of T-boned, and, and uh, there's a lot going on. And I remember I could feel the Holy Spirit just saying, pray for them, offer to pray, offer to pray, offer to pray, offer to pray. And there was so much going on, right? And I could make every excuse in the world, and, and I failed. I failed to pray for them. I failed, and I, and I walked back in, and, and, and I thought, Daniel, what is wrong with you? You're coming out of a church. You work at the church. What, you can't pray for someone? Like... And I made the resolve, I'm never doing that again. And sure enough, the Lord brought another opportunity within a week. And uh, it was a little different this time. A man was feeling sick. He was coming down, the four, or coming down the 407 and was feeling sick in his car. He had to pull over, got off at McCowan, pulled into our parking lot, of course. And he was outside of his car sick and his friend was with him. And I came out and talked to him for two seconds and just, can I pray for you? And he's like, yeah, <laughs> that'd be great. <laughs> And I just prayed for him and, and prayed the gospel over him and, and prayed that he would receive the Lord and, and that the Lord would help him and get him home safe. And, he, and, he, and after the prayer, he was just blown away. Someone would pray for me and love me. And he started asking all these questions about our church and when do you guys meet? What do you do here? He's like, something's different. And I was so afraid and it was so silly. I don't know the fruit from that, but he asked about our church and maybe the Lord would plant a seed there. But so often we go through so many lengths just to be liked. And we're so scared of what the world would think of us. I really, I really, I'm burdened for uh, Christian teachers in the public school system and how difficult that might be for you if you're a teacher here. I've had to talk to my son's teacher about things that are taught in the classroom. And if you're being forced to teach certain things, I, I wonder how you get around that sometimes. I've heard good stories and bad stories from teachers but it's so easy for us to go along with what we're supposed to or we're told to do, isn't it? Like, well, if I, if I don't do what I'm asked to do, I'll get fired. And then if I get fired, how can I be a witness in my workplace? It's better that I keep my job, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have rationalized that. They could have said, hey, if I just bow the knee here, but I won't bow in my heart. 
I mean, then I won't be thrown into the furnace. What use am I to God burnt alive? If I stay alive, I can do some work within the kingdom here. Maybe I can have some more converts and help these other unfaithful people mature in God. No. No. God calls us to faithfulness even if we'll be hated. We see that we'll be hated. The second result of living with a dangerous faith is this. Number two, I will be persecuted. Happy message so far, eh? I'm going to have enemies and we'll be persecuted. Amen. Amen. Look at verse 13 to 15. It says this, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hand? So your dangerous faith will cause persecution. You see, you'll make enemies, but as soon as you make enemies who have any authority over you, the persecution begins. Look at the text. Look at the text. It says that Nebuchadnezzar was in furious rage. He's gone completely off the deep end. He is so upset that out of his hundreds of thousands of people, a million people under him, who knows, that three young boys wouldn't listen. He is so enraged with them. He is so filled with pride and self-importance and self-worship that he can't handle that even three young men wouldn't listen to him. He's so twisted in his mind. He gives them one last chance. Now, if you're ready to worship, do it. If not, be thrown in the fire. And then he says probably one of the dumbest lines in all of Scripture and one of the dumbest lines that any of us could ever think or say. He says, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Watch out. Watch out. What an absolutely stupid thing to say. To pit yourself up against the Almighty God. To stand before God and say, Who are you? What can you do to me? He thought that God was unable to stop or change his decree. So here's our application there Never become Nebuchadnezzar. All right? You're like, that's pretty easy. I'm never going to be an emperor or king over an ancient Mesopotamian empire, all right? But never become Nebuchadnezzar. Repent of the pride you hold. Don't let it get so far. Repent. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You see, Nebuchadnezzar isn't that much different than any of us could be or would be or are in our heart. See, Nebuchadnezzar's pride was so on display only because he had money, power, and influence. That's why we can see it. That's why he comes out with these lines of who, what God will stop me. It's because he had the ability to demonstrate it. But let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. What is the difference between Nebuchadnezzar or the man standing next to Nebuchadnezzar who has no power, money, or influence, but in his heart knows 
what he would do if he had those things. Does God see the external or does God see the heart? God sees the heart. God sees the heart. And how many of us have thought this, if only I had the power, if only I had the money, if only I had the influence, and only if people had to listen to me because this is what I would do and this is what I would say. Don't be Nebuchadnezzar. Don't allow your pride to consume you to the point where you bow to yourself and not God. So imagine that. You've made these enemies, you're being persecuted, and you're being accused in front of your coworkers, in front of people, in front of the other magistrates. Public humiliation. The pressure is on. The external pressure is on. Why won't you just kneel? Can we handle this? There's so much fear of not being liked. Greater fear of public humiliation. But this is where dangerous faith leads. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Will you live this way for Christ? Can you count everything as loss for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior? Can you say to the world, listen, I, I'd want none of it. None of it means anything to me. I will not forfeit my worship to God. I will not allow external pressures to change my internal conviction. I will lose everything if I need to, even my life, for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. So we see that we are making enemies. We are going to be persecuted. But then there's three good things, okay? There's three good things as well. And here's our next point. Dangerous faith results in this. I will have courage. I will have courage. You will have courage as you live with this dangerous faith. You will have courage. Let's read uh, verses 16 to 18. These, these three verses here are some of the most concise and incredible verses to sum up incredible theology and practice. Let's take a look. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I love this response. Wow. We have so much to learn from these three verses. We have so much to learn from the example and the testimony of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is the only thing they say in the entire chapter. But we have so much good theology here and so much good godly practice. So I have five things that I've learned from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in these three verses. And here they are. First, never think you can't learn from someone younger than you. Never think you can't these, these are three boys who are 20 years old. Do you remember when you were 20? And you're like, wow, I knew nothing, right? Like, I still know nothing. But when I was 20, man, I really knew nothing. And these three boys, about 20 years old, listen, God decides who he will use. God lifted them up. God used them to display his glory. And through their life, as they lived with dangerous faith, it didn't matter their age, it mattered their faithfulness, and we can learn from even the youngest. Second, we only 
answer to God in matters of worship. We only answer to God in matters of worship. These boys were not looking to be disrespectful to the king. They really weren't. Uh, they showed up. They, they didn't run away from the ceremony. They came. They were dressed in all of their attire. They did everything that they needed to do to fulfill the requirements of their job. They were being good subjects to the king. They weren't trying to protest or be a disruption. They didn't seek the statue to be torn down. They weren't trying to be disrespectful. But their entire life was controlled by Nebuchadnezzar. Everything. Every detail of their life was controlled by Nebuchadnezzar, but not this. He couldn't take this. The internal conviction was far too great for the external pressures. He could not control their worship. He thought he could, but he couldn't. We only answer to God in matters of worship. Look at what they say in, in verse 16. They say, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. I love how they answer him. All the other people speaking to the king are like, Oh, king, live forever, and quoting all of his words. But they're just like, Listen, Nebuchadnezzar, we're not talking to you about this. Our worship is to God alone. End of story. Final. I am not bowing down to anyone else or anything else. We have no need to answer you in this matter. We only answer to God in matters of worship. Third, courage comes from the knowledge of God. We learn this from these three boys. Courage comes from the knowledge of God. They knew who God is. Do you see that? The courage that comes from the knowing the character of God. If you want to live with a dangerous faith, if you want to be courageous like these three, know who God is. That's where courage comes from. Know who God is. Study his word. Pray to him. Know who he is. And you will be filled with courage. When you understand that he is faithful, that he is merciful, that his love is steadfast, that he is all-powerful, that he is all-knowing, and that he is on your side, you will be filled with courage. You will be confident in him. Look at the text. It says... We have no need to answer you in this matter. In 17, if this be so, if, if you're going to throw us in the furnace, Nebuchadnezzar, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. True. Is God able to save them? Amen. We find out that he does. Is he able though? Yes. He's, oh, king, listen, your little campfire over here, our God can take care of that, all right? Your furnace isn't bigger than our God. Fact. Truth. They know who God is. And then they say, and he will deliver us. And look at the careful wording here. They say he can deliver us from the fire furnace, but he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Listen, he might save us from this little campfire you got going on over here. Great. But listen for sure. He will deliver us. King, if we get burnt up in your fire, we will be in the presence of God and we will be delivered from your hand. You do not get the victory in this, King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the day, God wins. He can save us and he will deliver us. They know who God is and it gives them great confidence. But for us, how many, how many sleepless nights have Christians had because they didn't seek the knowledge of God? 
How many people here who call Jesus Christ their king live in paralyzing fear of the future? It's because they don't have a knowledge of who their God is. How many Bible-believing Christians are paranoid and scared to stand up for their God, no matter where they are? It's because you've not sought the knowledge of God. To know who God is, is to have courage. These boys declare that not only is God able, but he will. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That there's no power on earth that can compare to our God. There's no enemy too great. There's no current situation or future fear that God is not completely in control of. He is able and he will. He is able and he will. Fourth thing I learned from these boys is this, and I'm going to say this slowly and a few times. The knowledge of God always leads us to the conclusion that worship, not self-preservation, is our goal. The knowledge of God always leads to the conclusion that worship, not self-preservation, is our goal. Look at the incredible theology and practice here. Look at this. They declare who their God is, what he is able to do and what he will do because of his character. And then in verse 18, they say this, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve our gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They lay out the truth of who God is and what he does, then they seal their fate. Listen, king, there's nothing that will stop us from reserving our worship to the one true God. Nothing. Their ultimate goal is not to preserve themselves. Their goal is to be a sacrifice in worship no matter the cost, even if it is their lives. They make sure that their internal convictions will not be persuaded by external pressures. Jeffrey Studert Kennedy uh, was an Anglican priest uh, in the beginning of the 20th century in England. And um, he served in World War I for the British as a chaplain, and he was on the front lines. And he was also a poet. He wrote a lot of poetry. A very smart man. And when he was in France uh, fighting the Germans at the time on the front lines, he wrote this letter to his family instructing how he wants his young son to learn how to pray. And uh, he wrote this short letter. Listen to it as I read. He said this. The first prayer I want my son to learn to say for me is not, God, keep daddy safe. But, God, make daddy brave. And if he has hard things to do, make him strong to do them. Life and death don't matter. Right and wrong do. Daddy dead is daddy still. But daddy dishonored before God is something awful, too bad for words. I suppose you'd like to put in a bit about the safety too, old chap, and mother would. Well, put it in, but afterwards, always afterwards, because it does not really matter near so much. You see, Stuart Kennedy knew that the most important thing in life is not if you remain alive, it's that you are faithful while alive. 
The most important thing is not if we live, it's what we do with our faith while we live. Will we honor God and live with a dangerous faith? Will we honor God and not concede to external pressures, but live by our internal convictions? The fifth thing I see from these boys is that the knowledge of God always leads to the understanding that we only see the present, but God knows the future. God knows the future. People try to predict the future all the time, right? All the time. Um, oh, I'm going to invest here, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do business in this town, and I'm going to make all this money. Really? You don't know. You don't know. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. You have no idea. I mean, there's this hurricane coming on, onto the coast of Florida right now, and they, they change their prediction every five minutes because they don't really know what it's going to do. It keeps moving. They don't know what tomorrow will bring. The weather always gets the future wrong, Right? We always try to predict the future, but really all we know is what is right in front of us. We don't know the future, only God does. But listen, as believers in Jesus Christ, we actually know something about the future. We know one thing that we can be confident in. And so here is my guaranteed prediction for the future, okay? You ready? God's in control of it. God's in control of it. And that's all we know. That's all we know. God is in control of it. That's all we know about the future. And he's asking us right now, servant of God, be faithful. Be faithful. Right now, regardless of what you see or what you think or what you think is coming, be faithful right now. Why? Because he knows what is coming next. And he blesses faithfulness. Let that give us great confidence that God, who is above every king, who is above every boss, who is above every situation, is leading us and blessing faithfulness. Will you live with a dangerous faith? Be faithful to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So we see that we will have enemies, we'll be persecuted, that we will have courage. And our fourth result of living with a dangerous faith is this, I will be delivered I will be delivered. So let's read verses 19 to 27. It says this. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flames of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men, unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. 
Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over their body, the bodies of those men. Their hair of their head was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Wow. Nebuchadnezzar was even more angry at this point, right? You see that? His face started to contort and he changed the expression of his face. He was angry at them. He's gone completely off the deep end. He orders that the fire be um, increased in its temperature seven times, which is insane because if you really want to cause someone harm, you lower the temperature of the fire you're going to burn them with because they burn longer and in more agony. But he's gone off the deep end. He's not making any sense. And he orders in his rage that it be seven times the temperature. He heats it up, and even the guards that are throwing these boys in, they die because of the heat. They are thrown into the furnace. And I I just think we really need to put ourselves into these, these shoes here, okay? This isn't just a story with a moral lesson. Again, this is real life history. These three young men standing before the king, now being bound, imagine yourself in these shoes. Imagine yourself standing there and these big burly guys in the army come up and tie you up and they're taking you over to the furnace and they're walking you closer and closer and the heat is so intense and you know I'm about to die. And all I would have to do is maybe turn to the king and say, I'll bow, I'll bow, I'll go on my knee. And maybe he would save you from the fiery furnace. You see, these, these three young men didn't know how the story ends at this point, right? Right? They knew in their minds that they were about to be burnt up. Life was about to end. But no matter the outcome, no matter the outcome, they would not surrender. They would not concede their internal convictions. The furnace was way better than to bow to a false god. Matthew 10.28 says this, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body, soul and body in hell. See, these three didn't fear the king and his furnace. They feared God. Behind this little furnace was the almighty God. And they said, if I have to go through this to please you, then so be it. They were thrown in and their life probably flashed before their eyes, but they demonstrated one of the greatest examples of loyalty, faithfulness, and integrity found anywhere in Scripture. It's really, truly remarkable. I love this uh, thing. So look at, um, look at verse 24. It says, the king was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. And he, he answered and said, but I see four men unbound. I see four men unbound bound. Their, their bonds were broken. Nothing else on their body was touched. None of their clothes, not even their hair. They didn't even smell like fire. Have you ever been to a campfire? You, your clothes smell for like a week, right? They didn't even smell like fire. Nothing. But the only thing that was burnt up were their bonds, the ropes that were tying them together. And listen to this. What was meant by man to destroy the faithful was used by God to set them free. 
Who else is able to do this but our God? To take the worst affliction and turn it into freedom. This is how our God works. This is what Christ did. Betrayed and beaten and a crown of thorns on Jesus' head and mocked and ridiculed and taken to the cross and nailed to the cross and hanging on the cross, enduring so much suffering and so much affliction, yet he took all of that affliction and turned it into freedom of those who believe in him. This is how our God works. This is so true for so many of God's servants. We don't truly experience or truly comprehend or understand freedom until we're cast into the furnace. But in the furnace, we walk with Christ, and he is so near. It's where he refines us, and he trains us, and he teaches us, and he's our closest companion. And did you catch that in the text there? It says, Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He, sees, he throws in three, but he sees four. And he says, the extra man looks like a son of the gods. So what's going on here? What's happening here? Who is this fourth man? There's two explanations throughout the history of the church of who this is. Uh, the first one, I think they're both acceptable. I'll tell you which one I, I think. But the first one is that it's an angel. God has sent an angel down to walk with these men, to comfort them, and, and, and to, to provide this miracle to happen. The, the other um, explanation is a Christophany, which is just a fancy word for an appearance of Christ before his incarnation. That Jesus Christ, the second member of the Trinity, came down and was with them in the fiery furnace. Now, I'm inclined to believe it was Christ. This is what I think. I think it is Christ because Christ walks with us and he never leaves us and he never forsakes us. He is with us in the hardest times and in the best times. He says in Matthew 28, I will always be with you. That should be comforting to us. And for these young men who didn't have the New Testament yet, maybe their comfort was found in Isaiah 43 verse 2, which says this, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. See, God promises to be with us as we walk through the fire. He's there. He's our greatest and closest companion. When we suffer, Christ suffers with us. When we walk through the flames, Christ walks with us. I love the casual feel here. Nebuchadnezzar is like, they're walking. They're walking. They're just having a stroll in the furnace. Walking around, no problem. Aren't they burning? Shouldn't they be trying to run out of there? No, they're just calmly enjoying the presence and the companionship of God. Calmly walking in the flames. They were more peaceful inside of the furnace because they were with God than those other Jewish boys who decided to kneel out on the plains of Dura. Is there anywhere else that we would rather be? Really, like when you look at this story and you look at all of Daniel chapter 3, where is the sweetest place to be? In the furnace. In the furnace. It's the best place for us to be. Why? Because that's where Jesus is. He walks with us through the flames. 
So often we run from this. We're so afraid of our enemies and the persecution and we don't have the courage and so we avoid going into the trial. We, we steer clear when the reality is the sweetest place to be is inside the fiery furnace because that is where Jesus is so near. Is there any other place they'd rather be? They go for a stroll with their Savior in the furnace. We see that we will have enemies, we'll be persecuted. We will have courage and we will be delivered. And our number five, our fifth thing, uh, as a result of living with a dangerous faith is this, that we will receive blessing. I will receive blessing. Look at verses 28 to 30. It says this, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yield, yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. You see in this situation that the dangerous faith led to the enemies and the persecution, um, but then it actually resulted in uh, moving from hatred to respect. After they did this incredibly faithful thing, even the king respected their faith. And that's pretty cool. And that can happen. And people say, wow, you're true, you're real, I like that. But regardless of what people think, that's really not what this is about. Regardless of what the king thinks or your co-workers think or your family thinks or whoever thinks, your dangerous faith, your, your unyielding commitment to your internal convictions will always be met with God's approval. And that's what matters most. There is blessing in God's approval. He is who we serve and he is who we are seeking to please. Nebuchadnezzar was amazed and slightly humbled, you can imagine. He didn't quite get it yet, and I wish we could do like an overview of Nebuchadnezzar's life. It's quite fascinating, but at this point, he didn't get it still. He said there was this most high God who can rescue, but there were still other gods. That's just the, maybe he's the top God, but there's these other gods that we serve, and he didn't quite get it just yet, but he respected now these three young men for trusting in their God, and he ended up promoting them to a higher position. So let me make one thing clear about what I'm not saying, okay? You didn't hear this from the pulpit today. You will not get a promotion because you live with a dangerous faith, okay? That's, I didn't say it. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you're going to get a promotion if you remain faithful to God. God might choose to bless you in that way. Often righteous living and faithfulness to God leads to blessing in this way, but not necessarily, not necessarily at all. There are many saints throughout history who were faithful and killed and brought into the presence of the Almighty God. You see, if you're, if you're following Christ, if you think that there's some sort of earthly advantage to this, and you're saying, well, if I just be faithful, you know, and, and I go through this trial, at the end of it, 
I'm going to get a promotion. I'm going to get more of my stuff I want. I'm, I'm going to further my family. I'm going to further my life. You're actually worshiping that thing, not God. And as soon as you think God is getting in the way of you achieving that goal, you will drop God like that and do what you have to do to get it. God is not a means to getting more stuff. The greatest blessing we can receive is more of God. And so we can say with the Apostle Paul, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Why? Because if we die, we will be with him face to face. And that is what every true believer in Jesus Christ longs for. That is why we pray, come Lord Jesus, come. Because it's so much better, oh Lord, if I was with you right now than everything else I have on this earth. Lord, take me. Take me if you would. But if not, I will be here to serve you faithfully. Revelation 2.10, Jesus says this to the church. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Will you live with this dangerous faith? Will you not concede? Will you, will you not fall down to external pressures, but remain with your internal convictions? Living with this dangerous faith, we'll have enemies, we'll have persecution, people will hate us, but we will have courage. Christ will deliver us, I can guarantee you that, and we will receive blessing, and ultimately the greatest blessing of being with him forever. I pray that we would be a church that seeks to live in this way, counting everything as loss, so that we might serve and know Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you that you remain the same. That you are the same God who rescued Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You're the same God for them as you are for us today. Lord, and in you we can have courage. Lord, in you we can have confidence. And we can put our faith in you and know, oh God, that you will care for us, that you will deliver us, Lord. Lord, help us to be faithful men and women who in this fallen world, oh God, will not fall down to false gods. Let us be faithful men and women who will stand up for righteousness and the worship of the true and living God so that we would be known as Christ followers. Oh God, would many be saved through our testimony? Lord, would you use our lives as a living sacrifice for your glory? Lord, would we be so much more concerned about our worship than self-preservation? Oh Lord, strip us of this idol. Strip, of, strip us of these idols that hold us back, oh God. Strip us of these idols that we are trying to please or trying to achieve. Lord, let there be no one but you in our sights. Help us, O oh God. Let us live in this way. Thank you for this example from Scripture. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.